0: Welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aliyah, and if I could add one surreal element to my own life, it would probably be to see full or empty meters above everybody's head, just so I could see, you know, how empty they were before I dealt with them.
1: Oh, wow. I love that. That would be very interesting. My name is Caitlin, and if I could add one surreal element to my life... I think I would just add sharks swimming around everywhere because I feel like that would be interesting. Like if you've ever seen the Doctor Who episode where all of the fish are swimming around, you know, Ooh. I just I feel like that would be great. Except that I would prefer that they don't eat me like they do in that episode. So,
2: That's fair. Yeah. I am Kristen, and if I could add one surreal element to my life, I think I would really just like like plant matter growing in places where plant matter should not be growing. I just think there's something very cool about flowers on like. I don't know, skin or bricks or just like, you know, like I, I want to That plants. sounds a little bit close. Like, no, it's not a, Aurora it's rising, yeah. old, yeah. like, not a <laughs> I
3: just want it to be a thing that is. I don't want sentient plant life. I love that. Yeah, I'm Brittany. And one thing I would add would probably be subtitles. Like I would add like little text bubbles around people so that if I don't understand them, if I don't, like know what they're saying. Like I could read it over and over again before it disappears. That's what I would add.
0: Oh my gosh. That is the best idea ever. Please invent that. Okay. I'm working on (laughs) it. (laughs) I can't be the only one who eventually just pretends to understand, right?
3: Oh yeah. Eventually you just have to pretend. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, a big welcome to Brittany Lewis, debut author of the undead truth of us. Tell us about your book, Brittany.
3: Yeah, so The Undead Truth of Us is about 16-year-old Zari Young, who, after her mother's super mysterious death, starts seeing zombies everywhere. And then she ends up meeting an undead boy who kind of shows her how love can change you for good or for dead. I love that. It's <laughs> a great tagline.
1: So we're going to talk a little bit about the surrealist elements in your book and how you came to to put them in and, like, uh, why you made those decisions a little bit and maybe give some advice to some aspiring authors in our audience how they can do the same thing, maybe hopefully not with zombies. This is a really interesting, like, horror-surrealism mashup I'd never seen before, which is pretty cool. Um, so maybe you can give us a quick definition. What is surrealism? Yeah, so... Yeah,
3: surreal. I mean, I'm no art major, and I'm, <laughs> I am i would say that seriously, but like, um, I would say surrealism is kind of like a mixture of bringing something strange and um, something that, d- that doesn't exactly resonate with you into everyday ordinary life, and then trying to find a balance between it. I think it tries to make sense of the unordinary without also making sense of the Unordinary. So it's very kind of alluded, but also like very mysterious. I would say it runs on lots of vibes.
2: Anything that runs on vibes is a good thing in my book. Vibes before plot for me.
3: <laughs> I love that. I love that.
2: I feel like it's
1: like living in a Salvador Dali painting where everything is just not quite right.
3: Yeah. yeah. So I would say to your other question, Caitlin, like adding it into like writing, I think just like playing with all of the elements, like playing with sound, with um visual elements. I kind of love the idea, um, Kristen, of what you said earlier about like having flowers and like nature on people. It was reminding me of the most recent Doctor Strange movie where they're like running through different um dimensions and it all looks so like odd and strange. I think just stretching your imagination using that and just running with it would be my best bet of like adding surrealism into story.
0: I like that. Like we already have no holds barred because we're literally making stuff up and putting it on the paper, but it's even a step beyond that. You know, you don't have to abide by any structure, any rules to an extent. Right. But that being said, how is surrealism useful in the story? What does its presence do for us?
3: I think it does for us. It really does play with the reader's trust in the main character because our main character is experiencing so many weird things that are happening to her and so it really amps up the psychological aspect like can I trust this main character she seems a little unreliable and while you're reading the story you're trying to figure out if like her own thoughts are like are they betraying her or is it an actual part of the story? Um and so I think it just like amps up that psychological thriller even though it's not really a thriller at all.
2: <laughs> do you feel like books with with surrealist elements usually involve an unreliable narrator or is that just like something you sort of chose to do or is that like a staple of the genre I guess.
3: Ooh, I love that. I think it's, I I don't know if it's a staple. Like I have read it before I have seen it for sure. Um, it is something that I just randomly decided to do because I felt like it adds tension to the story. And if the idea is to get the reader to the next plot point, like what like what's going to fill in those gaps in between like all the character arcs. So I don't know. I wouldn't say it's like a staple, but like I've seen it done. I've seen it done. Okay.
2: okay. Yeah. So more like as an emphasis thing than as a
3: like, it must be this way. Exactly. Absolutely.
2: So, um, when
1: you are writing a story with really strong surreal elements, how do you go about grounding that story? So a lot of us uh, write like fantasy, and this is a question that comes up a lot with fantastical elements because we have to ask that question: Is this literal or is this like pretty writing? Is it a metaphor? And so, when you're dealing with surrealism, where you're literally inserting things into the story that like we're not used to in a contemporary world, how, how do you go about grounding
3: it so that the reader at least knows where they Ooh. are. That's a tough, amazing question, Caitlin. (laughs) Um, It almost sounds like a math equation a little bit because uh, with fantasy, right, like so much of our stories are in our heads. And so the challenge for all of us is getting it down on paper and making it make sense to someone else. That's actually one of the things that I did a lot of tackling when it came to like edits for this book, because it was like, hey, Brittany, like, did you mean to say that? Or is that was that intentionally part of the story? So um, I think one thing that helped me was actually grounding the characters around the elements that were happening. So making very clear, distinct um, voices for, well, for the main characters, Ari. So making sure that what she is saying or her inner thoughts are very clear um, as a juxtaposition to what's happening around her. So that we know that this strange thing is happening, but also we know that it might pass depending on like how she's feeling or maybe where she's going. Um, I think some of the uneasiness in the story is intentional just because you want to be a little unsure about if you can believe what's happening. But I, I definitely think grinding the characters outside of the main character really helped me kind of keep the story stable, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah. feel like I feel like most stories rely on external tension as well as internal tension. And I guess it it sort of sounds like what you're saying is that as long as you have like something solid internally or emotionally to hold on to, then you can do sort of whatever you want externally and the readers aren't going to get lost because you're following an emotional journey rather than just like, oh, now we're in a weird dream space. <laughs> like Exactly. Like you, yeah. You
3: have something to hold on to. Yeah, almost like a re, like almost like a recurring theme. Like you like if you mm-hmm. hear a song in a TV show, it, like it usually signifies like a change of transition or the beginning of that episode and so you always know that when you hear it something might be happening. So kind of like a theme song, but like theme beats. <laughs> yeah. Theme beats.
0: Is there such a thing as
3: taking surrealism too far? no right like art is so subjective no way (laughs) it's like a piece of gum but like if you could take that gum and like I hand it to you who's on a different like side of the world than I am and then we pass it to someone else on a different side of the world and it just keeps stretching and going and going and it might change depending on who it lands like on but it just keeps going so, how do you use your surrealist elements in order
1: to to explain or to express the theme of your book?
3: Yeah, I definitely use a lot of surrealism to express emotion and what it feels like and how it can transform you. Um, I also use it to play on like what grief feels like. I think grief feels different for everyone, and it's really hard to write grief and and have grief feel synonymous and so um I use those elements to kind of like play with like this is how this person's feeling this is how she's moving through life this is how it turns her life upside down and kind of like a a very odd way but I think the beauty of grief is since everyone does experience it differently if I'm using surrealism to like play with that emotion like it you can kind of resonate with it. Right. Because it's like if you're feeling really sad, sometimes you can express why you feel the way that you feel. Sometimes you don't have the exact words to to do that. And so if you can take an element and kind of like squish it or change it or like mangle it, sometimes it makes it feel better when you're reading it in a story. Um, So I definitely used it the most when it comes to like emotional growth arc and then also feeling grief and sadness. Um, I use I, I, I try to play it up as much as I could in those elements of the story. I really
0: like that. I feel like that makes a lot of sense because, you know, the bright colors, the the flashiness, the overall sweeping wow that comes with surrealism, it's all tied to emotion, right? So having it basically be the emotional arc made concrete and physical seems like it could be a really powerful
2: move. Something that I I think about a lot when I write is that for me magic is always metaphor and it sort of sounds like this is a similar concept where if you're throwing in unrealistic or surreal or sort of like off the cuff stuff, if it's if it's tied to a metaphor, it, it becomes stronger. I don't know if it's necessarily always needed because sometimes surrealism is there just to be there and to unsteady you. But I guess from a personal preference, I, I love when things have meaning.
1: <laughs> well, and also I love what you said, Brittany, about how emotions are very difficult to describe um, and the people to experience, the, experience them all differently. And by taking it a step outside of the way people usually try to describe something, you are able to encompass the feeling much better. Like the idea of grief causing you to like see the world as something dead, or like to feel dead yourself almost. It's a really, really fitting metaphor for what's happening to the character. And I just love that because it's so much easier to identify with than like watching a character cry on a page. You know what I mean? So I, I love that you've got um this much larger way of describing how the character is feeling
0: so are there any tips we can throw out for people who have never tried surrealism before that want to you know get into it get into the flow give it a try
3: absolutely i think some good tips would be like whatever you like to write in so whether that be like a journal or like in google docs or in you know on your computer somewhere um, or your phone like i love writing on my phone but Thinking of like just a regular sentence, maybe a paragraph, maybe describing a scene around you. I think it's a good place to start, and then taking an element in that scene and then changing it. So, um, if we're talking about Vincent Van Gogh or Van Gogh, <laughs> however you yeah. want to pronounce his name, um, if we're talking if we're talking about the Starry Night, right? And you're thinking of how can I make one part of this element. Surreal. well, then you can take the sky and you can make it into swirls. And so if you just imagine doing that with like one scene in your writing and then stretching that throughout the story, I think that could be an easy way to play with surrealism or even taking taking a surface, um, like, you know, like a desk, right? Like it's hard, it's structurally sound, but what would happen if you could touch the surface and like your hand could go all the way through it? What would that look like? How would that feel? Would it have a smell or a sound to it? Um, kind of stretching all of those.
2: So when you, uh, this is just like a personal curiosity thing, I guess. But when you were first writing the Undead Truth of Us, did you like come up with? Did you come up like with the hook of seeing the zombies, or did you come up with the grief? Or like what what came first, I guess, for you?
3: Yeah, for me, the first thing that actually came was seeing the zombies. So I remember kind of vividly that I was in my last year of college and I was super distracted as per usual in trying not to do whatever assignment I was trying to do Mm -hmm. and I remember seeing this girl in my head and I remember seeing that she was a dancer she was leaving a dance studio and there were zombies around her and I also remember thinking Or being in the headspace of like heartbreak because I was always falling in love and I was always getting my heart broken. And um, thinking like how boys can sometimes be these like creatures that destroy you from the inside out. And it's not just boys, it's just like romantic partners, right? Like, especially if it's not an equal give and take, you feel like a lot's been taken from you and that your world is kind of like on fire. You also feel kind of like dead on the inside. And so I just was like, that would be such a cool concept and I don't know if I can execute it. So I simmered on that idea for like four or five years before I really started writing it. That's definitely how it came to me. It was like a spot of heartbreak and also like seeing these zombies and not knowing exactly what to do with them. But just knowing that like I could see them right in my head. Obviously the writer, I could see them in my head, no one else around me can See them, my friends are like doing their homework, and I'm just here daydreaming about the story. So, what if I really literally took that and put it into a book? How would that work?
0: I really love that. That's a cool origin story. <laughs> all right, well, we're going to go ahead and move on to the portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. If you'd like to check out the text of this chapter and see all of our notes, you can view that on our website, lit litnation If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a quick summary of this week's chapter. After a long day molding glass in a glass shop for their mother's big show, Astra and her siblings learn their mother has planned a surprise move to Iceland for them. So, what are some things we liked?
3: This story, like, reading the first two paragraphs of the story blew me away because it's so vivid in imagery, and it's just beautiful writing. So, that was the first thing I noticed was, Wow. This is very beautiful writing. I've never been to New York, but, like, I can see those, like, lights flickering. I can have, like, an idea of, like, what this story is setting us up to be. And those red lights, for whatever reason, made me feel like, oh, my gosh, my heart's going to be broken by the end of this chapter. So.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. I think one thing that this writer does that's uh, really impressive is I think that they – Um, have a lot of good character moments that provide little details that tell us a lot about a person. So one I really loved is Astra is wearing a spooky sweater because it's the fall and she gets scolded because it's silly to wear a hot sweater when it's really hot and you're blowing glass. And then she takes off the sweater and she has a little skeleton tank top on underneath. I just thought that was very funny. It was a great detail for her. And I really love that they're glass blowers. I think there's something really wonderful about a contemporary novel that is set in, like, sort of a niche art movement, and I'm, like, excited about where this would go and just learning more about it.
1: I really love that, too, and there's some really cool details throughout that show that the the author has really either done their homework or has done this Mm -hmm. for real, and I like... That, I I mean, I really love it when you have characters that are really invested in something and excited about something because it automatically informs their voice. And I yeah. feel like we already have a little bit of that going on. I also really like the description. I don't have it marked which character it was because I just don't. But it said she's always ready to run. And I just, I think it's Astra. But I thought that was great. I also really like the conflict setup because anyone can identify with, like, the difficulty of being uprooted in the middle of your senior year. Yeah. That seems just like a terrible bomb to have dropped on you when you really weren't expecting it i
3: super agree i also want to say like i loved i love the glass blowing too that's so neat like learning how it works and then Mm -hmm. also i loved how the author took like metaphors of like glass and how it works Mm -hmm. and then used it to describe an emotional part of the story i thought it was chef's kiss beautiful yeah Oh, yeah. That's really so good. good.
2: I just want to share this one line because I thought this was another great character moment, but it said, "Astra's first memories were made of glass, Lena's first footsteps in a gallery, and their mother swore against everyone's protests that Cass's first word had been crucible, which I think just says... It's one of those... It's another example of a, of the voice sort of informing the characters, informing a voice. It, it's all very cyclical and nice. I love that.
3: So um, what are some things that might need a second look? I think one thing that I noticed was there were some moments where it took a while to get to kind of like what the point was. And so like, there were some really beautiful moments of like blowing glass and then some character detail. And then I felt like there was a few statements and I wish I would have like highlighted one where I felt like if we just trimmed it down just a little bit, we would have simplified the section just to get us to the next section a little quicker. Um, And that might just be because I, I I get distracted really easily, but that's something that stuck out to me was how could we simplify some of these sections just so that the reader can get through um, some of these parts just a little quicker.
1: So something I noticed is that I'm not really sure what point of view we are Mm -hmm. in at the beginning. I was thinking it was, it was omniscient because we got like a really big picture, New York view, Mm -hmm. and then we got thoughts both from Astra and from her sister, but then it seems to kind of zero in on Astra. And so I mean there aren't hard and fa- I mean there are some hard and fast rules about this. <laughs> there are conventions that are pretty typical to to writing right now. However, I feel like you almost could do more with it if you're a little bit more grounded in one POV, but what did you guys think about that?
2: I actually I thought it was pretty clear that we were in Astra's point of view that she's the main character, but I will say I had a I had a slight issue with the POV um, on the first page in the paragraph that I told you not to wear that sweater paragraph, um, which is the third one, I think, because it's not immediately clear which girl is speaking. And then we get the sentence, Lena raised her eyes scrutinizing, scrutinizing Astra's flushed face in her choice in attire, which that makes it sound like it's Lena. But I just figured that yeah. was like a one-off detail that the, the sentence, if it's just slightly recast, I think that still works to be in Astra's perspective. It just needs a little bit of clarifying. But I'm always, I'm a big okay. fan of close... Close third, so like anything you can do to ground deeper in Astra, it's not going to hurt, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's true. As as somebody who really likes deep POV and really close POVs, like obviously my view here is being it's <laughs> <is> being tinted.
3: <laughs> yeah, <by> that, so
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: there you go. <laughs> That's so fair.
3: I think like there was a couple moments where I was like, "Wait, what POV?" Like I'm so used to reading first person. Like it's mm-hmm. so common in a young adult, especially mm-hmm. that you're first person close and there were a couple moments where i was like oh wait hold on this is astra right but i think for the mm-hmm. most part i generally got the idea that it was astra but there was a, a couple moments where i was second guessing myself
2: yeah i'll say the one comment i have and feel free to disagree with me if you don't if you don't agree but i <laughs> i i I think that I get the sense that like something is being set up with mom like there's a there's a reason their mom has to flee
0: mm-hmm.
2: or that she can't stick around mm-hmm. that they have to move but this announcement that like they're going to Iceland comes really out of the out of nowhere in a scene where their mom is is sort of um, shown to us as being a very consistent hard-working sort of person like For most of these pages, I felt like I knew who their mom was and that she was, like, a glass – she was, like, an owner of a glass-blowing studio or she felt really grounded and steady. And then suddenly we get these last few pages where she's, like, "Surprise! we're going to Iceland and she seems really flighty. Mm
3: -hmm. Um,
2: But we don't have – we don't have a sense from Astra which is more correct, like, if their mom is typically very flighty and inconsiderate or if she's typically, like, steadier – So I just felt a little disoriented, I guess, by the end of the submission where I wasn't sure what I was supposed to think about their mom.
3: Yeah, I I agree with that, actually. I do think the mom kind of, the way that she relayed the information to her kids seemed very like last minute, oh, by the way, like as I'm like heading out and it would have been beautiful to see maybe some emotional moments coming from the mom, like even just like hesitation or some like slight like fear even like even if we just had more more seconds of that I think I would have felt a little bit more emotionally connected to that last part where the drop was happening because I think towards the end of the story it's very obvious that Astra is very upset if I could see a, a little bit of hesitation from the mom's point of view I think it could probably help with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, as somebody who has children, like the idea that I would just drop it on them that we're moving to Iceland in the middle of the school year. Um, I don't have any seniors, but like even my younger kids are kind of attached to their friends and stuff. Like the fact that she just drops it with like no thoughts or like softness yeah. or anything like that. She's just like, oh, heads up. I know I said we were staying here, but we're going to go. Like, I mean, that's a huge thing to do to your family, and, and it has me asking a lot of questions about this mom and, like, how their relationship is, like, as a family, because they seem very close. They're all working in the studio together, and, I mean, they could be, like, a really insulated family where their best friends are each other and they don't spend a lot of time outside the studio, but, like, I don't have a context for that yet, and, like, for that to happen, that seems like a very scary, controlling thing to have happen. Just a heads up, check your tents a little bit. There are a couple of, like, it's the tiny thing to go through and look for. I also had a thought about that grounding detail at the very beginning, which I loved the picture it was showing, but I had questions, like, um, Brittany mentioned that she said um, it set the tone for her. When I was looking at it, I was like, is this grounding detail by itself, or is it setting the tone? Because there were a lot of really, really cool images throughout the whole submission, where I was like, like there was this whole idea of them breathing life into the glass and how they were all taking turns, like the mother did it first and then Cass did it. And they're like giving birth to this piece of art. But that was like an isolated sentence. And, or a paragraph, and then they're actually doing it with their mother. And so I was looking for something to connect all of those really cool images to, like, come up with some kind of a, a theme or, like, I, I don't know if it's fair to ask for that. I mean, it kind of is in a first chapter to start seeing it. Kristen looks like she has something she wants to argue with no. me about. That's fine. Go for no, it, No, I, I actually don't.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say that I feel like I really relate to this author's dilemma here because in the book that I I am working on with my agent, uh, one of my characters is a bookbinder and that's something I also am and and it is really easy to f- put in bookbinding detail to prove like yeah this is a thing I know what I'm doing um, and also the rest of you guys should know about it because it's really cool and that sometimes gets in the way of what I'm trying to say by putting in the bookbinding detail and I'm wondering if that is potentially the case here where we have someone who's very passionate about glasswork and wants us to understand like the, the world so that we can also be passionate about it. And I just wonder if maybe that is the problem. I, I didn't have a huge issue with it, but I, I, do think, I do think there's a lot of detail and I don't know if we need all of it. Unless maybe we do, but you know what? We're not the writer, <laughs> but it, it does sort of, it slows things down. So if this is a slow book, that's okay
3: that's fair
1: but i mean like Brittany was saying at the very beginning it's a slow book but to a certain like sometimes things do need to be a little bit like we don't not always need yeah. all of it mm-hmm. and and i am looking for the ways this is going to connect into the book so if glass blowing is not going to be the metaphor or like that mm-hmm. that flickering light isn't going to be connected back in like it
3: seems like a lot of attention to be giving something that's just grounding mm-hmm. detail i feel that caitlin like i definitely see what you're saying and that's I think that's really good feedback, especially when it comes to first chapters, right? Because when um, other people are looking at your work, like agents and editors, like they are going to be searching for those connecting pieces. Mm -hmm. And even after the point of like, you know, selling a book and like working on edits and stuff, like you're going to have people question you know, why is this in here? Is this like, does this help move the story forward? Is this gonna come back around to be like a theme? And like being selective with some of your wordplay, I think it can be very important. And it reminds me of that whole kill your darling statement, right? Yeah. Because like that is a beautiful piece of writing. But do we need it in the story? And can you use that town that you have and put it in a different place where it is going to be more connecting? Like the glass blowing. Like I'm seeing so perfectly in my head this family blowing this glass together and how much that is a metaphor for life. And like be starting over and rebirth and she's probably going to have to be uprooted again, right? And so how can she find a, a maybe a better spot? to use that it's tricky
1: uh, or even just to ground it enough in the character themselves and what's happening to them emotionally mm-hmm. or like to just yeah I, I think it's such gorgeous writing mm-hmm. and so I'm there's so much potential here and
3: it's it's great
1: do we have any last minute thoughts
3: we want to share I do want to say that I love the way this ends it definitely sets you up for wanting to read the second chapter mm-hmm. and I know sometimes ending mm-hmm. chapters can be a little wonky but I love the tension that it falls on again like I think that what did that last sentence say? It was like, for once she wanted to stay. And it was so beautiful and perfect and loved it.
2: <laughs> I really liked it too. It makes some really great promises for like what, what this book is going to be. So it's really well done. I really like that. Thank you so much to
1: this writer for submitting your work. We loved reading it. You've obviously got a lot of talent, and we're going to be cheering you on from here. Um, thank you, Brittany, for coming on the show. Yay! Thanks for having me. Our next guest will be Stephanie Garber, the number one New York Times internationally bestselling author of Once Upon a Broken Heart and The Ballad of Never After and the Caravel tri- Trilogy. We have special editions for sale of Stephanie Garber's Once Upon a Broken Heart series that are signed and have pretty stenciled edges. Please be sure to check them out.